This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. You aren't seeing double. I have, in fact, uploaded two episodes this week. I've started a mini-series where I read you The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. It will be coming out in addition to each week's episode until we're done with the story. I just thought we could all use an extra distraction during this trying time. It's one of my absolute favorite ghost stories, and I hope I can help you fall in love with it as well. This week, we have two new authors to the show, and I'm so excited to share their stories with you. First up this week, we have an untitled spooky tale by author Adizzy. This one reminded me a whole lot of my library-guided nightmare I have on Patreon, and it got my brain working again for another guided nightmare, so stay tuned for that. Like I said, there was no title sent with the story, so let's go with The Custodian's Tale. I'm working late in this school that the town has decided to renovate. The school used to be an old state hospital, and just looks like a giant lost cause. I have no desire to be here, never mind until midnight. I'm going to be buffing the floors and polishing the wood in the new library. I'll also be sweeping, vacuuming, and making sure all the last details are done and clean now that the contractors have cleared the area. I've been at my job for the last five years, bouncing from school to school. To put it simply, I go wherever I'm needed. I usually work with a partner, but she called out tonight due to being sick, as if I haven't heard that excuse several times before. I'm upset because we're the dream team of clean and typically get everything done quite efficiently. Most of the time, we can either leave early or play cards before securing the building for the night. Tonight is going to be long, lonely, and boring, being stuck by myself. I've heard a lot of rumors about this place, and it's not anything good. I guess the state hospital held more than just tuberculosis patients. It was also home to doctors with what some might call sinister intentions. It's because of this that the state hospital has very dark secrets and heartbreaking tragedy inside its walls. One of the state prisons was overcrowded, and the hospital decided to take the overflow inmates, under some special circumstances. Inmates being transferred to the hospital went in with the understanding that tests and experiments would be done on them. Once this was agreed upon, the history just gets worse. Often the inmates wouldn't even read the forms they were signing because they were just happy to be leaving the prison. Unfortunately for them, the prison would have been safer. At least 30 lobotomies were performed each month on the inmates. One doctor had a particular fascination with the most mentally deranged inmates, most of which were serial killers or rapists. He was known to laugh with great pleasure as the inmates would scream in pain. There are so many horrific stories and deaths encapsulated within these walls. I could not believe the town was going to allow this to be a school of all things. Apparently, our town needed a new high school due to overcrowding. How ironic. And the next best thing was this building, because they could also incorporate grades 6, 7, and 8. The town also opened a daycare center in the building for staff or young mothers trying to graduate. The only cool thing I think that came from this project was the old staff house on the property that they converted into a restaurant for students. This provided jobs and the added ability of learning how to cook, run a business, and overall contribute to society. The restaurant gives students an idea of the real world that they will soon be entering. I was also bidding on the daytime custodial position so I could escape these long nights in this dark, creepy building. As of right now, all eyes were on me to be the permanent night custodian. But I'm 100% against it. 
I want no part of this job opening. There's just something dark and uncomfortable about this building, and it seems to be worse at night. (sighs) Anyway, I take a deep breath, say a little prayer to St. Michael, and open the doors to the school. It's dark, cold, and oddly damp for a place that's supposed to be almost finished. I search for some lighting, but grab my flashlight in the meantime. I try to turn the switch on, and nothing. Nothing is turning on, and at this point, I'm laughing to myself because this means I need to go find the fuse box. You would think the contractors could at least get the power on, right? I text my boss and ask him what he would like me to do. I'm hoping deep down that he tells me to jump ship and go home, but I'm not so lucky. In fact, I'm so unlucky that I need to go to the basement and see if a fuse is blown in hopes that I can get the lights on that way. I swallow hard and suck it up because I have no other options. I'm armed with just my flashlight and cursing my sick partner. The basement must have been the old morgue because in my search for the fuse box, I found a steel examination table and the body storage lockers still line the walls. After what felt like hours, I find the fuse box. I flick all the switches and everything turns on. I take a deep breath and think to myself, I can do this. I get a little brave and decide to explore the room I'm in. I see the steel exam tables, an overhead light fixture, a strange side table, and some freezers. I could see someone had been there earlier in the day and was starting to take the freezers apart, but why shut off all the fuses? The floors were redone, and the place was rather clean. It was creepy. I wondered what they would use the room for after the renovations were complete. Just as I am getting ready to head up the stairs, I could have sworn the table had moved. I looked back, but everything seemed to be in its place. I shake off the feeling of being watched, chalk it up to mind tricks, and head back up the stairs. I arrive at my little work area and gather my supplies for the evening. As I am filling up my mop bucket, I think I hear footsteps running around on the top floor. I push my fear deep down, also attributing this to mind tricks because I'm the only person in the building. I need to focus and just get my tasks done so I can go home. I decided I needed a distraction because if not, I'm probably going to end up running out of the building and quitting my job over an old creaky building. I can't seem to shake this overwhelming feeling of dread as I am finishing up in the library. Once again, I take a deep breath, talk myself into relaxing, remind myself that I have this under control and I'm the only one in the building. I go to grab my window spray and start cleaning up the glass tables and the small glass windows. As I'm cleaning the tables, I'm suddenly struck by the appearance of handprints on the glass. These weren't old handprints because they were appearing as I stood there checking my work. I stand there with my jaw on the floor and frozen with fear, but also in awe of what I'm witnessing. Just as I'm about to take off running, the door to the library slams shut. What in the hell is going on? I want to run and escape this place, but I can't. I'm overcome with nausea and the desire to scream all at the same time. I'm calling my boss, telling him I quit, telling him what has occurred and that he can clean this hellhole on his own. I gather myself up and start to walk towards the door. I'm shaking with fear, but this is my only exit, and when I make it to the door, it opens with ease. I must look crazy. I'm I'm talking to myself, grabbing at my phone, and dropping it, because at this point, I'm a mess. Just as I'm getting myself together, having successfully escaped the library nightmare I just experienced, all the doors in the hallway slam shut. Suddenly, all I can hear is laughing and crying coming from every direction. 
It was at this moment that I found myself curled up on the floor in a pile of tears, and I may have pissed myself out of sheer panic. I managed to call my boss, who doesn't pick up. Then I decided to call a friend to come and get me. I gather myself and again conclude that this didn't happen. It wasn't real, and I was being crazy. The very last thing that happens to me in this building is also the worst. All the lights go off, and I can hear the same deranged laughing and morbid screams coming from the basement this time. All I can think of is the doctor from all those stories that had practiced his macabre experiments on on those inmates. My little workspace gets so cold that I can see my breath, and just outside the doorway stands a figure that appears to be an inmate. Was this who I heard screaming in the basement? I direct my flashlight towards him, revealing the blood coming from his nose, a partially exposed skull, an exposed brain, and he's reaching out to me, asking for help. I can't move, because I can't believe what I'm seeing. In fact, I'm so paralyzed with fear that I just stand there, letting him get close to me. He eventually gets nose to nose with me, and all I can focus on is the way he smells this putrid mixture of decay, burnt flesh, and the distinct odor of death. I have tears running down my face, and I am a solid mass of fear. Just as he is about to touch my shoulder, my phone rings, and suddenly he disappears, as if he was never there. My friend has arrived, but I'm still unable to move. My friend enters the school and finds me a sobbing, blubbery mess. I'm beside myself, and they spend the next hour trying to convince me that it's okay to walk to the door. My friend locks the school up for me and calls my boss, who doesn't pick up again, so she leaves a message. I decided to leave my car there for the night, as I am in no shape to drive or be alone. As we're leaving, my friend looks over at the building and slams through the gates. She is just blankly staring out of the car window and finally points up to the building. Much to her shock and my dismay, gazing out of the window at us is the man that I had just been standing nose to nose with. I instruct her to leave as quickly as possible, and we leave the building behind us in the distance. That was my last night ever as a custodian. I quit my job and started work in a small office down the street from the school. I've heard stories from the students of experiences they had inside the school, but nothing like what I experienced. I've had nightmares and anxiety attacks from what I went through that night. In fact, I never really been the same since. I ran into a teacher at the grocery store the other day and she told me she gave her notice too. Her reasons were due to a feeling of someone always watching her and this one incident where she felt someone breathing on the back of her neck as she was alone in her classroom. She also told me that the basement door is always locked and the switch box has to be moved because the lights constantly turned on and off all day without a logical reason. The staff is hard to maintain, and people are constantly leaving in abrupt manners because of the odd things that happen when they are alone in their rooms. I'm glad I left that job. I always see help wanted ads in the paper, offering sign-up bonuses and great benefits for the night shift custodian position. (laughs) Good luck to the poor soul that unknowingly takes that job. As for me, I'm fine with my 9-to-5 job. Life is much more peaceful working during the day at an office, but some nights when I arrive home, I swear I can still smell the stench from that old, decaying inmate.
Our last story of the evening is by author Cameron Ullum, and it's called Greenhorn Crematorium. Thomas Wernicke, earbuds blasting the sounds of Ozzy, slid his hand into a blue latex glove. If the guy laying on his table had ever suffered a latex allergy, it didn't matter now, he chuckled to himself. His wife glanced at him from across the autopsy table with a smirk, waving to him and mouthing, Take those off! He did, grinning back. You know, you really shouldn't interrupt a man in the middle of an examination, Tom said, winking at her. He held up a long scalpel. There could be an accident, he said, putting on his best Twilight Zone voice. But Raina only shook her head. He remembered a time when he had been able to make her laugh, truly tear-inducing stuff. But those times had passed. He yearned for them. She smiled. Sorry, hon. I'm just ready to finish up for the night. With all the extra hours we've been putting in, I'm feeling a bit stretched, she said, flashing a smile, but it was tired. Let's get going. I don't want to pay the sitter overtime again tonight. We can all get a pizza and put on our jammies. He laughed. She still had that effect on him. Sitter too? He asked. Raina frowned. The sitter had been a topic of recent heated discussion. Raina had returned home after a late night at work to discover Tom playing the girl an old favorite record of his. Raina had convinced herself that she had nothing to worry about. Her husband was a loving and faithful man, but that didn't mean she was ready to joke about it. Standing there in the exam room, the whole memory suddenly flooded back to her. Tom sitting slightly too close to Emily on their large velvet ottoman, his arm reached over her casually to adjust the record player's needle, Emily's eyes full of warmth as she watched him with a cat's smile. Innocent, surely no evidence would hold up to justify Raina's jealousy in court, but the memory suddenly made her feel sick to her stomach. No, best not the sitter, she said, swallowing hard, searching his face for any hint of shame. She found nothing. Right, Tom said, turning his gaze down to the dead man on the table with a sad smile and a slight shake of his head. Well, I haven't started in on this one yet. I'll roll him back into the AC and we can get moving. He looked to the window, noting the yellow orbs of the street lamps glowing over a pitch black street. How the two of them had fallen into the habit of nightly overtime was a mystery to him. Raina was right. It was unhealthy. His memory blurred by exhaustion he found he couldn't recall much from the prior work week. The drive home was quiet, giving Tom's mind room to float and wander. He found himself transported back to the early days of his teenhood, working at the family business under the watchful and stern eye of his father. Working in the crematorium had never felt abnormal to him, even at a very young age. Tom's father had brought him into the autopsy room in place of an assistant. I just need someone to hand me my knives, he recalled his father explaining. I could train a monkey to do it, but you're cheaper. Tom's father, however, had required much more of him over the course of Tom's apprenticeship. Memories of the various odd and disturbing jobs which he'd completed in the dismal basement of the crematorium under the watchful eye of his father attempted to rise up in his mind, but Tom forced them back down. Tom's great-grandfather, Ted Wernicke, had opened the family business, Greenhorn Funeral Home and Crematorium, in the early 1930s. The city had provided Ted with the building grant, which he used to purchase a plot of land for pennies on the dollar. Per his grandfather's account, residents of Lotsfield, Pennsylvania, had been wheeling their dead to the next city over for years after the death of their local mortician. Tom's great-grandfather took advantage of the open slot, spreading his concerns to the neighbors that another city was capitalizing on the death of Lotsfield town folk. He pitched a more backroom, closed-door case to the mayor, explaining that if there was one thing death was good for, it was returning money to the town purse. Ted, known more affectionately as Teddy in his tight circles, made a fortune 
during his years as owner of Greenhorn. He used the building for anything and everything except preparation of the dead. Under his ownership, Greenhorn Funeral Home and Crematorium doubled as a high-end gambling hall and closeted moonshine operation. It was even rumored that Teddy had tried his hand at brothel ownership, opening up various rooms in the basement of the building to politicians and blue-collar men alike for private services. Tom's senile grandmother Betty had spilled all the details to him one childhood Christmas. He wasn't sure how many of the stories had been true, but they had always spiked his curiosity. He would listen to her ramble about the place almost every family holiday. Fast forward 30 years, Tom was now running the business after his father had passed away suddenly from cancer. Prior to his institutionalization, his father, a man of strange curiosities and interests, had begun illegal and dark business within the basement of Greenhorn, the details of which Tom tried daily to push from his mind. Struggling financially, his father had found a way to make ends meet by selling miscellaneous human remains to eccentric buyers on the black market. This hadn't went unnoticed by the families of the dead, who quickly began to notice that their deceased loved ones were mysteriously missing ears, or fingers, after a stay at Greenhorn. Instead of a prison sentence, the lawyer had arranged a lengthy vacation for Tom's father at Maple Gates, a high-end psychiatric facility. Prior to his arrest, Tom's father had run the place with a stern hand and whiskey on his breath, and Tom had made two vows prior to reopening the Greenhorn. The first, that his children would never know the childhood trauma he had experienced within those walls. Second, that none of his children were to step foot in Greenhorns until they were at least 18 years old. Terrible memories lay scattered and dormant within that old building, and Tom wanted to make sure that they were all boxed up and tucked away. Taking over the funeral home had been the only way Tom reasoned he could battle his old demons by attacking them head-on, day-to-day, until they were nothing but old newspaper headlines squashed under the heel of his boot. Tom heard Raina's voice, muffled and distant. The present moment came rushing back to him. He brought his hands to his tired eyes, rubbing both until they squeaked. Raina cleared her throat. <clears throat> Where'd you go over there? She said with a small smile. Both of her hands on the wheel, snow falling in soft wisps that disappeared as they touched the car's windshield. He noticed how incredibly worn out she looked, her normally bright, shining eyes now bloodshot and watering, dark circles hanging in half-moons beneath them. Tom forced a smile as he bid the unwanted memories to go somewhere else. Daydreamers are secret geniuses, he said. I read it in O Magazine, so it's true. He felt a rush of delight as Raina let out a hearty snort and brought her hand to her mouth. They still had a chance, he thought to himself. Things always got better. The two of them arrived home to find Jacob asleep on the couch, sprawled out on his belly, and the babysitter propped up in the lazy boy, her face lit up by a cell phone screen in the dark room. Tom paid her quickly, and after giving them both a small smile, she moved for the door. She peered back over her shoulder, looking Tom and Raina both curiously once over. Her eyes fell on Raina's knotted, unwashed hair and Tom's stained, worn clothing. The normally pristine couple looked disheveled, to say the least. She averted her gaze, suddenly aware she was staring and chirped an uncomfortable, Bye now! as she clicked the front door shut behind her. The house was very quiet, and Tom's stomach suddenly let out a rippling rumble. He looked down, as if amazed by his own mechanics. Well, I should probably do something about that. I'm not sure this grumbling monster can wait for pizza, he said, patting his belly. Late night grilled cheese fix, sound good to you? Raina grinned, a real one. Always. Tom slung an arm around her, and, exhausted but content, they walked together to the kitchen. In no time, two deliciously buttery sandwiches were sizzling on the spitting skillet a pot of canned tomato soup warming on the side burner and giving off small puffs of steam. What a feast, Tom thought to himself, looking over at his wife. She was swirling a spoon around in the soup, 
eyes drooping slightly in a way that reminded him of a sleepy child, doing her best to stay up past bedtime. His gaze lingered on her for a moment, his own eyes beginning to feel heavy, when something caught his attention in the doorway. He looked over to see his son, four years old and a mere three feet tall, standing in the entryway of the kitchen, with his hands hung at his sides, one small paw clutched in his blankie, the bottom of which trailed out on the floor behind him. Are you done already? Jacob asked, rubbing one eye with a tiny fist, a yawn escaping his mouth. Tom walked over, scooped up his son in one swift motion, and held him in the crook of his arm, blanket still dangling from the boy's hand. Oh, should we have worked later? <laughs> he laughed. Mommy and Daddy are all done, champ. We were tired and decided grilled cheeses sounded like more fun than work. Tom gave Jacob a big squeeze and winked at Raina, who smiled at the sight of them together. Raina looked at her little boy, cradled in the strong arms of his father, and was surprised to see that the boy's lower lip was beginning to quiver, his eyes shiny with tears that pooled in the corners as he looked up at his father. Daddy, you have to go finish the work, he said. His little body was shaking now, and Tom squeezed the boy a little tighter, concerned. Hey, bud, Tom said. Do you feel sick? Not sick, the boy yelled. Daddy, you have to go finish the man on the table. He's going to get mad at you. The little boy suddenly burst into hysterics, burying his wet face in his father's chest, letting out soft cries and beating his tiny fists in frustration. Raina, filled with a sudden alarm, ran to her boy and gently lifted him from Tom's grasp. Tom stood there with his head slightly cocked, staring at his son as Raina rocked and soothed the boy with a velvet voice. Did he say, man on the table? Tom whispered to himself, loud enough that Raina could hear. Her head snapped up from her son, eyes glaring at Tom in a warning. Just hold on, she whispered harshly, putting a finger to her lip as Jacob's cries started to waver and slow his eyes drooping with invisible weight as they lost the battle to sleep. They finally closed, and Jacob's chest began to rise and fall, his breath puffing out in a slow and rhythmic pattern. Raina mouthed, wait here, to Tom and crept out of the kitchen with Jacob. Tom heard her feet creaking in slow, careful steps up the wooden staircase. Tom pulled out one of the dinette chairs, setting himself down onto it as his thoughts spun faster than his mind could handle. He and Raina had made a promise to keep the details of their occupations a secret from their young son, still a baby in both of their minds. All Jacob knew of their work was that mommy and daddy helped people who died look nice for their funerals. He supposed Jacob could have seen something on television. His mind flashed back to the babysitter, distracted on her phone as Jacob sat on the couch. Yes, that must have been it. Something as simple as a scary movie, even crime shows like CSI peppered episodes heavily with scenes of autopsy. There was a creak as the kitchen door parted open, and Raina walked in with careful and quiet steps, looking even more exasperated than she had earlier. He's asleep, she said with a sigh, plopping herself down on the chair across from him. The grilled cheese sandwiches lay charred on cold burners, but... Neither one of them remembered their appetites. Tom straightened up, looking at her curiously as she sat with her head in her hands. How on earth did he know about the autopsy? He asked, needing to hear an answer other than the unlikely ones currently spinning around in his head. I thought we were on the same page about keeping the work from Jacob. Her head raised slowly from her hands. Quiet anger attempted to build, but drained just as quickly as it had come. She was just too tired for this. Hun, <sighs> I haven't told him any more than you have. He probably just heard someone at school talking about it, she said with a sigh. In preschool? Doubtful, Tom snapped. A sudden rush of guilt hit him as he heard the snide tone adorning his voice. It sounded like his father's. He shuddered. Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. 
We should probably get going to bed. I'm tired and turning into a grumpy monster. He raised his hands in a gesture reminiscent of some creature feature. Reyna giggled, most likely from exhaustion, but he would take it. A tiny form suddenly appeared back in the doorway. Tom thought to himself how odd his son looked without bear blanket in hand. Jacob was standing there, small face, unemotional, and body rigid. His forehead was clammy. He stared at his parents with unblinking eyes. He turned his head, his gaze settling on his mother, who looked back at him with tired eyes and her head cocked to the side in confusion. She stood up. Jacob, what are you d- d- Her balance suddenly wavered, vertigo settling over the room as it became a swirl of colors and shapes. She tried to step forward but faltered, leg lifting to step high over some blurry imaginary obstacle. The world whirled around her, the edges of her vision creeping with black ink. She saw Tom stand suddenly, arms extended as if to catch her, but his balance too faltered and he began to tilt to one side, his eyes wide with the confusion that she also felt as the inky blackness crept in from the corners of her vision towards the center. The world shrunk to a smaller and smaller circle until it became nothing but a pinhole. The last thing she saw was Tom's shaking hand on the floor, fingers stretched and reaching out to her. Then, everything went dark. Tom awoke on the white tile, his cheek pressed against the floor, tingling from its coldness. He lifted his head slightly. Pain shot through his neck as if he had been laid out this way all night. His eyes adjusted to the light and noted the familiar features of Greenhorn's only autopsy room. Tom blinked hard, perplexed not only by how he had ended up back in the funeral home, but how he had managed to fall asleep on the floor, spreading both hands flat on the cold ground. He began to lift himself up and onto his knees, letting out heavy, tired breaths as he attempted to rid himself of whatever fog had splayed him out like some lush. He put a foot forward to lift himself. Then he froze, horrified as he caught sight of his wife's body lying supine a few yards in front of him. One of her arms crossed her chest and the other lay cast above her head. Both arms were coated to the elbow in dry blood. Tom fell forward on his hands and knees, crawling to Raina in frenzied confusion. Raina! He shouted, grabbing her by her small shoulders and shaking her with clumsy hands. Her head wobbled like a doll. He yelled again in her face a panicked thought rising up to the front of his mind. She was dead. When, all at once, her lashes began to flutter, and her eyes snapped fully open as she gasped, drawing her hands inward to her chest as she cowered back from him, her face a mask of terrified confusion. (laughs) She swallowed hard. What's going on? She whispered, trembling as she sat up. Tom pulled her into his arms. He squeezed her, his mouth agape and groping for the words she needed to hear, but he found none. Instead, without thinking, he glanced down quickly at her arms. Her eyes flickered and followed his. A scream erupted from her mouth, and she began to scratch furiously at the crusted blood. Get it off! Oh my god, get it off! She said, scraping at the red of her forearms and Todd released her shoulders to grab hold of each of her wrists, pinning them in a strong bear hug while he attempted to calm her, whispering soft, shaking words into her ear as her screams turned to soft whimpers, and finally, to exasperated breaths. Tom grabbed one of her hands, pulling her arm in front of his eyes and twisting it around, searching for any cut or wound that could have resulted in so much blood. The skin was without blemish, much to Tom's surprise. Not even a scratch. He coughed, a nervous twitch beginning to grow in his cheek. He looked down at his wife, 
whose previous mask of panic was beginning to slide down from her face. Tom squeezed her bloodied fingers. Do you remember anything at all from last night? He asked, anxious panting escaping his lips as he tried unsuccessfully to steady his voice. She blinked hard, and two heavy tears fell to her chest. I remember stirring soup in the kitchen. She gulped in a breath, eyes closing in concentration. Then, I don't remember anything at all. She looked down at her reddened hands, wincing. Did we come back here to work? She asked, wiping her hands on her pant legs suddenly grimacing with the thought that the blood in her arms may not be that of the living. A small cough echoed from the other side of the tiled room. Tom and Raina both looked up to see Jacob, standing quietly by the refrigeration unit entrance. The boy was smiling. You finished the work! Jacob exclaimed suddenly, clapping his hands together and bouncing his little body. Was I a good helper, Daddy? He spread his arms to his father in question. Tom, horrified, saw the boy's reddened forearms had been dipped up to the elbows, no, to the shoulder, in a cracking film of blood. Jacob? He reeled in confusion, falling back onto his rear end. Oh, oh, what... What did you help Mommy and Daddy with last night? The boy smiled. Work, Daddy. The man said that you and Mommy had to do the work. He took a deep breath for emphasis. It's all part of the deal. The word sounded unnatural on the boy's lips, and he frowned suddenly as if remembering something. I was afraid he was going to hurt you if you didn't finish the man on the table. He told me if I squeeze my brain really hard, I can help you and and Daddy do your work. Jacob grinned. And he was right! It makes you and Mommy fall asleep. But when you get up, the man with the dark eyes helps you finish. Jacob clapped his hands again. Proud to know so much grown-up stuff that Mommy and Daddy didn't. He continued. He said, you need to work again tomorrow, but that is okay if you to go home and rest now. That sounds nice. Can we go watch cartoons? I want pancakes. Staring wide eyes at his small son, Tom opened his mouth to speak but found no words. Raina, on the other hand, was quick to rise, shock apparently wearing off at the sight of her bloodied son. Jumping to her feet, she stepped quickly to the refrigeration unit, throwing open the door to reveal its dark contents. But it was completely empty. The gurney which they had used to wheel the man into the room was also missing. She spun around to face her son, the whites of her eyes cresting and her words shaking. Honey, where's the man on the table? Where's the man on the table? She shivered. Whether she did so from shock or the gust of frigid air, she was unsure. He sighed. Down in the basement, silly. Don't you remember? Tom's ears pricked at the mention of the building's basement hair rising to attention on the back of his neck. One evening, years before the day Tom acquired Greenhorns, he and Raina had been out on a date. It had been light and cheerful, a dinner at an expensive Italian bistro downtown. Glass after glass of red wine had struck them both hard, and a very emotional version of himself had begun bellowing out the terrors of his childhood to Raina. She had sat, wide-eyed and pale, across the dinner table, 
setting her breadstick down as she nodded and listened, slowly losing her appetite. He had become hysterical. Later, he realized he'd experienced a full-blown panic attack that evening. The two of them had walked out to the car together after throwing a few bills on the table. He remembered the comfort of Raina's strong arm around his waist in the rainy parking lot. Tom stood, his knees racking together as he attempted to calm himself. He could feel his hands and feet tingling with the sudden rush of adrenaline, the chemical of fear. He took a labored step towards the basement door. Raina shot him a look. Don't, she said. I'll go check it out. You stay up here with Jacob. She looked over her son with worried eyes, afraid to touch him with her bloodied hands. I will be right back, honey, she said, and pushed through the door into the hallway. Tom watched her leave speechlessly as the door swung on its hinges. He turned to look at his son to find the boy was staring at him with questioning eyes. Daddy, you really don't remember anything? He asked, popping his thumb into his mouth. Tom shook his head, feeling sweat trickle down his forehead as he peered at his son. He wasn't sure he wanted to remember anything anymore glancing once more at Jacob's crusted arms. A moment of silence passed between father and son. Then, Jacob grinned. Mommy just found it! He said, clasping his hands together. There was a blood-curdling scream that erupted from a distant place below them, and Jacob began to squeal with glee. <laughs> Mommy is scared. That's so silly. The boy cupped his hands around his mouth and yelled, Don't be scared, Mommy. The man said we're helping him. Tom, slapped by some invisible hand, awoke from his state of frozen terror and ran towards his son, snatching him up under one arm. He throttled himself through the swinging door and ran down the lobby towards the stairs. Jacob protested and squirmed under his father's arm as they descended, but the boy's words were drowned out by echoes of wailing cries which rose from the bottom of the dark stairwell. The sounds got louder as Tom approached. His two feet finally landed on the concrete floor of the basement. Memories flooded his head, and a nauseating feeling of deja vu passed through his stomach like a sharpened knife. He pushed open the metal door to the cellar, and it whined open on its ancient hinges. The screaming had stopped. Inside, Tom saw Raina at the basement's edge, slid down to the floor with her back against the wall, mouth agape. She was staring at a large pile of bodies slumped over one another in the center of the basement floor. Dead arms stuck out rigidly in gestures of comical rigor mortis. Tom looked at the dead, realizing with sudden dread that many wore the faces of clientele brought to Greenhorn for autopsy. He would recognize them anywhere. What truly terrified him, however, were the unfamiliar faces of the remaining corpses. Strangers wearing fresh spatters of blood, their shirts and chests adorned with the slits of a blade. Tom felt Jacob wiggle free from under his arm, falling to the floor with a soft thud and an OW! The boy rose to his tiny feet, brushing the dust off his pajama bottoms. Why are you and mommy acting so weird? The boy asked, tugging at his father's shirt sleeve as Tom took in the madness before him. The shirts of the perished men and women were torn open to reveal flayed skin beneath, skin that had been opened at the chest then sewn shut with crude suture work. Jacob saw Tom looking at one of the sewn corpses in particular, 
The twine work which emerged from his milky chest had been tied at the ends in a floppy, stained bow. The boy gagged, pointing a finger down his throat theatrically. I don't think that part would taste very good, but he likes to eat them. Tom stared forward at the heap of dead flesh in a trance, and without looking at his son, asked, Which part? As his eyes began to roll back in their sockets, his body convulsing where it stood. The hearts, Jacob said, thumping his own chest with a tiny fist. He looked up into his father's eyes, which had changed, glazing over to the familiar inky black marbles of his friend, the dark man. The man looked down at Jacob and chuckled deeply. His voice held the disrupted low frequencies of an old radio. I do like those parts, the creature said, laying Tom's hand on the boy's small shoulder. Jacob flashed a mouthful of baby teeth at the man who used to be his father. Can you make mommy asleep again? She looks scared. The creature tilted its head in the direction of Jacob's mother, who stared at them. Her face twisted in horror, frozen where she sat. The creature nodded Tom's head, lifting a finger in the direction of Reyna. She slumped back instantly against the wall, out cold, her head flopping to the side as her jaw drooped to her chest. The boy looked at the creature, who wore his father's face. How much do we have to pay? The boy asked curiously, his nose scrunching in confusion. You said Grandpa made you a deal. What's that? How many hearts do you need? The man with marbles for eyes stretched out Tom's hand to ruffle the boy's soft hair. Grandpa Teddy was supposed to go to a very bad place. The creature boomed. He doesn't want to go, Jacob. Grandpa Teddy gets to stay here in this house as long as Mommy and Daddy bring me more work. Do you want your grandpa to go to the bad place? The little boy shook his head, suddenly frightened as his eyes welled with tears. The creature leaned forward, wiping a drop awkwardly off the boy's plump cheek with his new form's thumb. Okay, pal. Then you can help him. Will you help your grandpa, Teddy? The black eyes glistened in the artificial light of the basement and settled, unblinking, on the small child. Jacob nodded his head, sucking snot and tears back into his nose. He would help Mommy and Daddy, and he would help Grandpa. He would be a big boy. He puffed out his small chest, breath still hitching from the fading tears, and walked over to the basement workbench. He pulled out a rusty, wet blade from the junk drawer. He had seen Mommy put it there last night, her empty eyes stained black. The blade felt heavy in Jacob's tiny hand, and it hung there as he shuffled his bare feet over to a large stranger sleeping in the corner. Blood dripped freshly from the holes in the milky white chest. The small boy reached out, pulling a frayed corner of the man's shirt open, and saw with delight that he hadn't been sewn up yet. No bow tie. The boy grasped the thick wooden handle clumsily in both of his hands, aiming the tip of the blade just below the collarbone, as the dark man had taught him. Jacob pushed the knife in as hard as he could, his tiny arms straining until he heard a wet, sticky pop, and he began to saw the jagged blade down through the man with all his might. The black eyes that were not his father's, shining and glistening over his shoulder as he worked. Thanks for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's stories as much as I did. Thank you again to my authors. Time for Patreon shoutouts. I just want to say how much it means to me. To those of you who support me through Patreon, it's helped me, It's helped so much and through so many sleepless nights as of late. It's been something that I feel so fortunate to have and I know how lucky I am to have such supportive and wonderful listeners. You've all been so kind and have sent me the most beautiful messages on Twitter and Facebook and you're really getting me through life right now. So a big warm welcome to Jennifer Clark. Welcome to the family, Jennifer. Sending you love and light and happiness. I know we're all really going through it right now. Not one of us is beyond the reach of this global heartache in some way, shape, or form. A few years ago, one of my favorite podcasters, Travis McElroy, started a little movement and it centered around the phrase, I am holding your hand. I'm not taking credit for that, obviously. It's totally his idea, or someone's idea. I think it was his, but I think it's a lovely sentiment. So I'd like to borrow it and say, if any of you are feeling particularly lost or down or bordering on catatonic, just know that I'm holding your hand. It may not be physically, but I hold all of you in my heart. You've all made my life exponentially better and more beautiful and This is a very hard time right now. It's scary and no one knows what's going to happen, not even the people in charge, but at least we have each other. So again, I say, just remember, I'm holding your hand. And with that, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.